Hey, what's up, Hoop Ball listeners? I'm Lawrence Brooks. Catch all Dallas Mavericks news, notes, and coverage by tuning in to my show, the Hoop Ball Mavs Podcast. Follow Hoop Ball Mavs on Twitter at Hoop Ball Mavs, that's M A V S, and check me out on Twitter at LB Said It. We'll be posting instant feedback and insight on social media during games, and then follow up and download the Hoop Ball Mavs Podcast, available everywhere pods are found. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Before we begin the show, we want to bring you a message from our friends at MyBookie. I hope you guys feasted up on the MyBookie Turkey Day free play that allowed users to grab themselves a risk-free bet up to $250. It was basically a free shot at trying to double your money. If you didn't get in on that, what are you doing? No, but seriously, now is the time to get some skin in the game with MyBookie, where odds boosts, lightning deals, and free bets await all season long. And with the NFL playoffs right around the corner, we know who these teams are, we know what they are capable of, and it's not difficult to find some value in the lines. Especially if you're going to bet against the Pittsburgh Steelers because they look awful right now. Anyways, whether you're a first-time customer or have been playing with MyBookie for years, there is no shortage of value to be found in thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and contests that they offer every week. Sign up or get reloaded today, find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. They also boast a fully-fledged casino platform, giving you access to all the classic table, slot, and card games you'd expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is, at MyBookie, the doors never close, so you can continue to build your bankroll even after the stadium lights have gone out. Make the right play and sign up today at MyBookie. And when you do, use promo code HOOPBALL to get your deposit matched halfway all the way up to $1,000. The terms are simple. You put in the $200, they'll match you with another $100 in your account. If you were already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season at MyBookie, so come on in and join the fun and win some cash while you're at it. Now, on with the show. The following is a HOOPBALL presentation. Welcome on into the Hoop Ball Chicago Bulls podcast here on the Hoop Ball Network. A happy Saturday morning to you and yours. We've got a lot for you here on today's show. But before we get to any of it, we are brought to you by MyBookie and Manscaped. Go check out our awesome sponsors and see what they can do for you. We are talking about two Bulls games and previewing another. 
because of my work schedule, I'm not always able to recap the game right after the game. So I was thinking to myself last night, let's just recap each of the last two games since we already have a preview episode scheduled for the next day. And then I thought, why don't we just pack it all into one and have you all wake up on a Saturday morning feeling bright and chippy about Bulls basketball. So the Bulls win on New Year's Eve 133-130 over the Washington Wizards in Washington, D.C. And then last night on New Year's Day, they fall to Milwaukee 126-96 at Fiserv Forum in Milwaukee. I will say that that game in Milwaukee was expected, but I want to recap the Bulls' win first in Washington. Now, the Bulls were without some key pieces, including Laurie Markkinen and Tomas Sadoransky. So the Bulls are shorthanded. They're without one of their best scorers. They're without their backup point guard. And after another rough defensive first quarter where they gave up 41 points, they also scored 35. In the second quarter, they scored 36 to the Wizards' 27, and they were off to the races. It was a three-point win for Chicago Rui Hachimura had a key turnover in the final seconds of the ball game that secured the win for the Bulls. Really was impressed by how Kobe White played at the point guard position. He had 16 points and 10 assists was a plus 14. This was the first time where I saw Kobe White as a guy that I believed could be a primary ball handler. He was in control of his game, he was spacing the floor well, he was finding opportunities for his teammates, and look, he was not efficient shooting, but when you have 10 assists, and when you're a plus 14, you are doing your job running the offense, and to me, this was a game that proved that Billy Donovan can continue to play Kobe White at the point. Because Lowry Markkinen is out, Otto Porter Jr. had to step into the starting lineup. And he steps in and has his first double-double of the season. 28 points on 10 of 14 shooting, 5 of 9 from beyond the arc, 12 rebounds, 3 assists, 3 steals. These are the types of performances that justify why Otto Porter Jr. was being paid $28 million a year by the Washington Wizards. I think Otto Porter Jr. understands at this point that he's not a part of the future, and that he wants to play his value up for whoever is going to sign him next offseason. Maybe the Bulls decide to keep him around. Personally, I don't think they want to spend 20 million on a guy that has proven over the course of his NBA career that he cannot stay healthy. Zach Levine scored 22 points, but he was inefficient. 6 of 17 from the field, 1 of 7 from beyond the arc, 9 of 10 from the free throw line, 7 assists, 6 rebounds. Look, to me... Zach Levine is somebody that is going to be what he's going to be. He's never going to be an efficient shooter. He really is never going to come that close to ever shooting 50% in the game. When he does, it's a pleasant surprise. But to me, Zach Levine is a guy that's going to be a volume shooter and a volume scorer. And if he's efficient, great. If he's not, that will be what it will be. Based on the minutes, Daniel Gafford is a guy that Billy Donovan sees as a part of the future. Off the bench against Washington, Gafford was a plus 23 in 22 minutes. 15 points, 5 rebounds, 7 of 8 from the field. Daniel Gafford is somebody that we loved because of his athleticism 
And I think that he is proving that he is going to be a part of this team's future because he's solid defensively when he's put in the right positions. He's efficient offensively when given the opportunity, when the right plays are run for him. He's turning his game up to another level. He's somebody that I believe has a very high upside, but he's young and he's relatively unpolished. The Bulls drafted him in the second round last year based on his raw potential. He's a 6'11 guy at 246 pounds. If you mold him the right way, he can be a really big part of your future. And I think that Billy Donovan wants to see what he has in somebody like a Daniel Gafford. The Bulls have proven, at least they are one of the teams that have proven, that the Washington Wizards are a very flawed product. It's Russell Westbrook, it's Bradley Beal, and at least in the New Year's Eve game, Thomas Bryant came to play. 28 points on 10 of 11 shooting. The Bulls' interior defense is still a big problem. But the signs are encouraging for the Bulls. Points in the paint, they were 58-36, to 36, so a plus 22 advantage in points in the paint. Bulls had 34 assists, Wizards had 27. Hey, anytime you're close to 35 assists, anytime you're over, you have had a really solid game. Another stat that I think is critical when analyzing this is the Bulls, despite having 17 turnovers, come up with a way to win the ball game. Turnovers are going to continue to be this team's bugaboo, at least for the near future, because they're young. They're still learning to play in this system, and you've got a guy running the point in Kobe White who really hasn't done much of running the point in the NBA. Bulls were almost 55% from the field. They were 54.3. Wizards were at 50%. Washington and Chicago each made 14 three-point shots. Wizards went to the line 41 times, made 32 shots. Bulls went to the line 25 times, made 19 shots. The stats here are pretty even, but the Bulls, because they were so efficient offensively and because they played so well offensively in the paint, that's how they end up with a three-point win despite allowing 130 points. If you win a basketball game allowing 130 points, you did a lot right on the offensive end and you did a lot wrong on the defensive end. It's pretty clear that this team is not ready for prime time defensively. We can continue to talk about that like a broken record, and as we segue into this commercial break, we'll talk about why the Bulls' defense needs some drastic improvement because the Milwaukee game proved that the Bulls' defense is not getting better anytime soon. We will take a quick break, and when we come back, we will talk about the Bulls and the Bucks from Pfizer Forum on New Year's Day. This is the Hoop Ball Chicago Bulls podcast on the Hoop Ball Network. Support for Hoop Ball comes from Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Jingle balls to the walls, fellas. Listen up. Untrimmed pubes are a thing of the past. It's time to gear up and get yourself the gift of shaving this holiday season. I am talking about the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0. 
That's why the revolutionary company Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 3.0 has proprietary advanced skin safe technology, so this trimmer cuts on your nuts. It's also waterproof, so you can use it in the shower. The Lawnmower 3.0 comes inside their brand new Perfect Package 3.0, which makes for the perfect gift this holiday season. Even if you do feel like giving a gift after Christmas is over, totally fine, no judgment. It's literally everything you need to keep trimmed, cut free, and smelling nice down there. And don't use the same trimmer on your face as you're using on your balls. That's just nasty. Okay, I have alopecia, which is a hair loss disease, so I don't use a trimmer, period. But if I did use one down below, it would definitely come from Manscaped. The Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0 also includes the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant in your armpits. Why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? And yes, your balls stink. Speaking of sweaty and stinky balls which also includes all three pointers shot by Wendell Carter Jr., I'm thankful for their Crop Reviver. This product, along with the Crop Preserver, keeps your balls from sweating, smelling, and sticking. And these products smell good. Their manly scent is attractive and will help set the mood, if you know what I mean. The perfect package also will come with a pair of Manscaped boxers that'll keep your junk feeling fresh all day. It's time to upgrade those overused pair of boxers to Manscaped's high-performance anti-chafing boxers. Tis the season to Manscaped, so get yourself, your dad, your brother, and your friends the best gift of all, the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0. Get 20% off plus free shipping with code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Welcome back to the Hoop Ball Chicago Bulls podcast. I am Greg Mraz, your host. Bulls had won two in a row, beating the Wizards in back-to-back games in Washington, entering a New Year's Day battle against the Milwaukee Bucks in Milwaukee. Before the back-to-back wins against the Wizards and before their one-point loss to the Warriors, the first two games of the year, the Bulls had gotten blown out by the Hawks and the Pacers at home. A lot of people thought, that the Bulls, based on the way that they had played in those two games, were going to probably get blown out by Milwaukee, who the other night set an NBA record for three-pointers made in a game, which was 29 in their 144-97 win over the Miami Heat. The Bucks indeed blew out the Bulls last night, 126-96. So the Bulls this season, in three of their four losses, have lost by 20 19, and now 30. So this was their worst loss of the year. The Bulls got down six points at the end of the first quarter, and then Milwaukee scored 35 in the second quarter to the Bulls' 19. So Chicago at the half trailed 62-40. to And in the first two games of the year, the Bulls had trailed by at least 40 at one point against Atlanta before catching up in garbage time, and at least 30 to Indiana before again catching up in garbage time. The Bulls really didn't get it any closer in the third quarter, and then lost by a nine-point margin in the fourth quarter. The big difference in this game was Giannis Antetokounmpo. He scores a game-high 29 points on 9 of 19 shooting, 
10 of 18 from the line. So he gets to the free throw line 18 times, has 12 rebounds, 8 assists. This is why he's a Supermax player, because he can change the game in a manner like that. He was a plus 31. Everybody in the Bucks lineup was at minimum a plus 13. Four of the five guys in the starting lineup were at least a plus 20. Brooke Lopez, the only one that wasn't, he was a plus 13 in 16 minutes. The Milwaukee Bucks are just simply a better basketball team. They're a team that is able to really do whatever they want offensively if they are clicking. And right now, Chris Middleton is a guy that is shooting at a very solid clip. He had 14 points on 6 of 10 shooting, 2 of 2 from beyond the arc. So far this season, he's averaging 22.6 points per game. He has over 20 points in four of his six games played. So he started off the year with a 27-point performance against Boston, 31 against the Warriors on Christmas Day, 22 against the Knicks, 25 against Miami in the first battle where he had four three-pointers. He had six three-pointers, by the way, against Golden State. I don't want to just be the guy that's reading numbers to you, but Chris Middleton is a guy that I legitimately can consider a star in this league. Drew Holiday has been a very solid acquisition to this point. He had 11 points, 4 assists, a plus 27 in 26 minutes. Former Bull Bobby Portis had a double-double off the bench. He's been a surprisingly good addition for them. 13 points, 12 rebounds, 4 of 6 from the field. How about Bryn Forbes scoring 18 points on 6 of 9 shooting, 4 of 6 from beyond the arc? And that's where the Bulls were really destroyed tonight was from the three-point line. Milwaukee was 49% from beyond the arc. They were 22 of 45. Meanwhile, the Bulls, they were 6 of 26 from three-point range. How do you lose by 30 points? When the other team has 16 more three-point field goals made than you do. And they shot nearly double the amount of three-point field goals that you did. Milwaukee's a team that has proved that they can kill you from the outside. Mediocre three-point shooting teams don't make 29 three-point field goals in a game. The Bulls, meanwhile, are a below-average three-point shooting team. When you shoot 23% from beyond the arc, that means that, relatively speaking, you're not a very good three-point shooting team. The Bulls, again, were a net positive in regards to points in the paint. They had 42, Milwaukee had 26, but that doesn't really matter. When you add up the math, the Bulls had six three-point field goals, which amounts to 18 points. The Bucks had 22 three-point field goals, which amounts to 66 points. The difference in that is 48 points. Why do you lose by 30? Because your differential on three-point field goals made amounts to 48 points. That's really all that needs to be said. And the Bulls were inefficient from the field tonight overall. But from the starting lineup, Otto Porter Jr., for as good of a game as he had against Washington, he was equally as bad against Milwaukee. He had nine points on three of 11 shooting. Patrick Williams, a rough game, eight points on four of 11 shooting. He did have six rebounds. Zach Levine, 16 points, but he was a minus 25, seven of 16 from the field, one of four from beyond the arc. The Bulls' starting lineup combined to go four for 16 from beyond the arc. 
That's 25%. That's not going to get it done. 6 of 26. You cannot have nights where you go 6 of 26 from beyond the arc and expect to win, especially when your opponent makes 22 three-point field goals. A couple of other individual positives for the Bulls. Really solid performance from Denzel Valentine off the bench. 14 points on 5 of 8 shooting in 21 minutes. Good to see that Denzel Valentine is going to get a little bit more run under Billy Donovan. Because I truly do believe that he was a first-round talent. I still think that he was a solid draft choice. And I think that with some solid coaching, he could finally untap the potential that everybody saw in him at Michigan State. One final note, Thad Young is back. I forgot to mention it in the Washington game recap, but Thad Young made his season debut against the Wizards. He's going to be a critical bench piece, at least to give guys some run while you have Laurie Markkinen, Tomas Sadoransky, and Chandler Hutchison out, three guys that all play over 20 minutes a night, and at least for Chandler Hutchison in the range of 15 to about 22 minutes per night. Thad Young against the Wizards, 15 points, 6 assists, and 3 rebounds. Solid season debut. Against Milwaukee, 6 points in 23 minutes. Thad Young is who he is, and hopefully he will continue to contribute for this Bulls club. Enough to the point, I should say, where he is a valued trade piece come the deadline. And I think that Thad Young, on an expiring contract, if he plays well, will warrant a draft pick of some kind in return. Bulls are 2-4 and four heading into their matchup tomorrow against the Dallas Mavericks. We bring on Lawrence Brooks from the Hoop Ball Dallas Mavericks podcast to preview the matchup and give us a little insight into what's going on with the Mavs so far this season. We will take one more commercial break and be back right after this here on the Hoop Ball Chicago Bulls podcast. Do you like free stuff? Everybody loves free stuff. What's the stuff? The Bruise Letter is back. Oh yes, back and fresh for the 2020-2021 NBA season. Our founder, Aaron Bruski, is writing an email newsletter filled with his most intimate fantasy nuggets. It's exclusive content you cannot find anywhere else. It's not on the website. It's not in any podcast. It's not on social media. It's only in the email newsletter, and you can sign up to get it for free. Just go to bit.ly slash bruiseletter2021 and sign up in 10 seconds. Again, the site is bit.ly slash bruiseletter2021. Aaron Bruski, straight to your inbox. And also, folks, we've got to tell you about the Fantasy Pass. Fantasy draft season is over, and you Bruski 150'd your way to a hell of a team. But the season has just begun. The Fantasy Pass is still the best deal in the industry at just $4.99 per month. And now that we're into the regular season, there is zero commitment. Sign up for one month for 5 bucks. If you don't like it, you can cancel. We know you'll love it, but it's always nice to have that option. The Fantasy Pass has everything you'll need to dominate all year. Updating projections, new fantasy appraiser tools, schedule and streaming charts, pickups, drops, and our newest and coolest feature, the HoopBall Discord server, where you all can hang out with HoopBall pros around the clock and get one-on-one help with your team. So please do check it out. 
head to hoop-ball.com and click on the Fantasy Pass ad just below the main media wall. Welcome on back here to the Hoop Ball Chicago Bulls podcast. We are now going to preview the Bulls' next matchup against the Dallas Mavericks. And on with us to preview that matchup, he is the host of the Hoop Ball Mavs podcast. Make sure you go check him out. Lawrence Brooks joining us now. Lawrence, thanks for taking the time. First off, Happy New Year. How are you doing today, my friend? Man, I'm great. Couldn't be any better. I, I live to see the new year, so I'm happy about that. Um, happy New Year to you as well and all the Bulls Nation out there. Um, yeah, no, it's a pleasure. Pleasure to be here. I'm glad I was able to see it. Um, we got sunshine today in L.A. Couldn't, uh, couldn't, couldn't start on a better note. This is what I love about hoopball and the national brand of the NBA. I'm in San Francisco covering the Bulls. You're in L.A. covering the Mavericks. We're just a couple of West Coast dudes that are covering teams in Texas and in the Midwest. So Absolutely. transition into the first question. We are actually, by the way, folks, we are recording this. You're going to hear this episode on January 2nd. We're recording this episode before the Bulls play the Bucks tonight and before the Mavericks play the Heat tonight. So I want to give you a little snapshot into what the Mavericks have been doing. And I mean you by the listener. Lawrence, I'm looking at what the Mavericks have done this year, and I'm a little bit puzzled because everybody on Twitter was ablaze when they had that 77 to 27 halftime lead against the LA Clippers on the 27th. That's their only win. They lost a close game to Phoenix in their first game of the year. They get blown out by the Lakers, and then they get blown out by the Hornets. I know they don't have Kristaps Porzingis back yet, but what has been the issue with the inconsistency of this club so far? Oh man, it, it's it's been a bevy of things, but I guess I could I guess I could start off by saying, you know, with Kristaps Porzingis being a top twenty-five player in the NBA, that's that's just it's hard to ignore that being such a large component of your team. Him missing is definitely um, getting things off to the wrong start. Um, having a guy who can be your anchor defensively at the rim, one of your stretch bigs that that spaces the floor even more for you because that's something Dwight Powell doesn't offer um, as a um, talent. You have to really respect Porzingis' uh, outside shooting, which opens up things for Luka and the offense even more. So just starting there, not having him has definitely been a bigger adjustment than maybe they anticipated because going into the postseason last year, they were kind of a well-oiled machine. I mean, yeah, they, Porzingis was in and out of the lineup with his issues, but once he got going, they just kind of blended together really well and things were going well. But now that they've added some of the defensive, um, the, some of the defensive personnel to the team, some of the shooting has waned. And so right now they're shooting about 25% on catch and shoot open looks from three-point range, which the three-point line was their superpower last year. They were the literally the best offensive rated team of all time. And you can't go anywhere but down from there. So they put a premium this year on defense, wanted to bring in guys who can help get stops, help kind of mask some of Luca's deficiencies on that end, bring in some guys so he doesn't have to have such a load on that end. But it just hasn't blended well together. And so as a result, you got Dwight Powell, who doesn't help you space the floor as well. Then you have... Uh, Josh Richardson, who isn't being respected quite as much as Seth Curry was. So they're sagging off of these guys. So when Luca gets in the paint, it's a lot of contested shots. He's getting there and he's he's kicking it out to these guys, but they're also not making shots at a high clip. So you have that going. There's a spacing issue, a missing Porzingis issue, and then still trying to figure out what works best with the personnel that they have. So I just think 
I just think this early season sample size for the Mavericks has been a bigger, bigger adjustment period than maybe they have, maybe they would have anticipated. Not to mention Luca isn't in the best shape. I don't know how as a 21 year old, you don't come in in the best shape you can possibly be, but you know, the expedited off season, who knows what he was going through. Um, so you just kind of have to, you know, kind of just wade this water and, and see how they start to move in until we get into a 10 game sample size. But that's kind of their issue right now is, is a big adjustment with no Porzingis spacing being an issue and not hitting open shots, something that they haven't had an issue with um, in previous time. The Bulls have had a lot of issues this year with point guards beating their guards, Kobe White and Zach Levine in particular, from the top of the key and drive into the hoop. The Bulls have not been very good in help side defense once that guard has gotten into the lane. I preface that by saying this. If the Bulls are able to double-team Luka and be able to help when Luka drives to the hole, you talked about the struggles that the Mavericks have had on kickouts. Who is going to be that secondary guy if the Mavericks feel like they can't really get anything going from the outside? Who is really the secondary guy that might be able to cut to the lane where Luke can get distribute to if the help side comes to double on him? Well, you know, they got Josh Richardson and they brought him in specifically for this reason, to be a secondary playmaker, another outside shooter. While, you know, he's not the elite shooter that Seth Curry is, but he's certainly a much better shooter than maybe uh, people remember his last year in uh, Philly. There was there was a lot of spacing issues there as well. So it just wasn't a good fit. He's getting looks that are out of rhythm. It's just kind of clunky. You have to hunt down your own open looks. It just wasn't a good fit for him. So this year, he shot the ball a lot better. They have a lot more room for him to operate, and he can be better in catch-and-shoot situations. They just haven't been that, that type of team yet that is doing it collectively. But they're looking to him to be like the secondary guy that can pick up things, that can kind of make plays off the dribble, and that can hit open shots as kind of um, Luca's sidekick, so to speak, while they're still waiting for Porzingis to get back. So if he can continue to play well or continue to at least match what Luca is doing offensively to the extent of just being effective, it doesn't have to always equate to made shots. But if they can, if Luca can kick it out to him and he can put it on the deck and find other guys that can hopefully knock down shots, that is what they, that is what they should be um, looking to. And that is, I'm, I'm sure that's what they're expecting out of his services. But the only problem is when he gets it, if he's not shooting, then it, it, the next guy is Dorian Finney-Smith. And while he's become a much better 3 and D guy, he's not the guy, he's not as reliable as you may want him to be on a nightly basis. So that's why having Porzingis there, you have three guys on the court at all times that can make an open shot. But when you now have two guys and then if you have in Josh Richardson and Luca, once you get to Dwight Powell and Dorian Finney-Smith, and then hopefully, you know, you have Tim Hardaway Jr. who can make a shot and he's played well. I don't want to, you know, make it seem as if he can't make shots. But a lot of times what ends up happening is if if he's in the corner waiting on a shot and it doesn't get to him. And now the shot, there's only 24 seconds. So if it doesn't land in his hands with something to do with five seconds or more, it becomes problematic. So um, so Josh Richardson and Tim Hardaway Jr. have a lot of responsibility right now but it's proving to be a lot for them because those guys aren't necessarily the offensive threat that Luke, I mean, that Porzingis is. We're here with Lawrence Brooks of the Hoop Ball Dallas Mavericks podcast, a part of our Hoop Ball Network. 
What is the role of Tim Hardaway Jr. on this team at this point? This is his third year, his second full year in Dallas. He's currently the team's second leading scorer. He's somebody that I always thought had the opportunity to be that secondary scorer on a good team. Do you think that he is a long-term fit in Dallas, or do you think he's writing out the contract that he signed with the New York Knicks and that Dallas will eventually move on? Is he a long-term piece in what Rick Carlisle and the Lucaverse are trying to build here? And that's that's what the Mavericks are. This is the Lucaverse. This is his team, and everybody that's on this team around him is just a part of his greater universe. Um. Totally agree. I think that right now, I think he's definitely a part of their long-term future as, as currently constructed, but that can change depending on how this year goes. I think for them, for anybody, for Mavericks fans who've watched them, you know, so many years, he's a poor man's Michael Finley. Like once Michael Finley got to the Mavericks, he was a, he was a top tier catch and shoot guy. And that's really what Tim Hardaway Jr. is. He can put it on the floor a little bit, but you're not looking for him to do that consistently. You want him to be a a floor spacer and a guy who can knock down threes at a high clip. Sometimes he can get hot, which is great. Sometimes he's not as hot, but he does find ways to score the basketball. And so for him, it's more so about being a, one of the one of the better scorers on the floor than it is about him necessarily being a playmaker for everyone else. So I don't think that I think that his long term outlook with the team can change depending on how they end up you know how they finish the season but as they are right now I mean you don't have anybody on the market but I mean for instance if Clay Thompson becomes available all of a sudden (laughs) uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. is no longer a part of the long-term plans you go get a guy like that not to say that he's going there to start any rumors but just to give a a um, broad view spectrum of how they would view um, Tim Hardaway Jr. He's what they have right now. He's somebody that they like. But if someone better comes along, um, Dallas is more than willing to upgrade at that position. Why is Jalen Brunson only playing about 16 minutes a night right now? I feel like that's somebody that is extremely valuable as a bench piece, but he's not getting nearly as many minutes as somebody like a Trey Burke, who is on what, his fourth team? Explain to me what I view from the outside as a conundrum surrounding Jalen Brunson. So I think for him, with Trey Burke playing as much as he is, he comes off the bench as a primary scoring option. Like they're looking for him to score the basketball. Jalen Brunson is more of a table setter, more of a guy who is going to be a floor general. And if you stagger his minutes and he's on the floor with Luca, he doesn't necessarily space the floor for you or become a scoring threat necessarily. So it's almost as if you have two guys on the floor who are just there to run the offense. And so if, he, if he's just if his primary responsibility is just to run the offense while he can score, he's a capable scorer. It's not as if he's out there and he can't knock down shots or get to the basket. But just as a guy who's continuing to be a floor general, it's hard to put him on the floor with other guys who are also filling his same role. So I think some of his inconsistent minutes or I guess, you know, his low minute output per game at this point. I think some of that is attributed to the fact that he's really out there just to be a floor general. And he's he's a, you know, a hard-nosed defender. He's a try-hard type of guy. But, you know, with with the lack of size, it just um, limits him in what he can do. But he's, he's still a good piece. They still, you know, they look at him in high regard for their second unit. But without the, the you know, without the scoring punch of a Trey Burt, it just puts them in a tough position to start to have him playing bigger minutes on top of the fact that Carlisle tried to play both of those guys early, 
but he had to stagger their minutes because it just they they lose so much size with Trey Burke and Jalen Brunson being on the floor. So now you have to make a decision: Do I go with the guy that can help us score, or do I go with a guy that's going to you know just keep us just keep us afloat offensively with making sure he's quarterbacking everything? And so because of that, I think that he loses minutes um, because he can't really he's not really a a scorer. And he doesn't have the size to continue to be out there and be a, a defender that can hound different positions. Which makes a lot of sense. I don't think that you can have two of the same style guard on the floor at the same time, especially given what you said with the shooting deficiencies and really a lot of the scoring deficiencies, it seems like the Mavericks are having thus far. We're here with Lawrence Brooks of the Hoop Ball Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of our Hoop Ball Network. Are you disappointed with what Dwight Powell has given this team so far, or do you think that what he's put up thus far is about what Mavs fans should expect? So for me, I'm, I'm generally an optimistic guy and I know I've seen Dwight Powell enough to know that he can be a productive member of this team, but we have to keep in, we have to keep in mind that he's coming off an Achilles injury Um, you know, he ruptured his Achilles tendon. That's usually been the death sentence for basketball players as, as it, you know, goes back to, you know, I don't know how many years, but that's always been, you know, if you blow out your knee, you know, you could reasonably come back from that. But an Achilles is just a different beast because it, it bothers so much of your agility, your explosion, your change of direction. It's just a big adjustment period for your body. And for a big guy, that compounds the issue even more. And not everyone is a supreme athlete to the point to where they just snap back. But with modern medicine, you know, there's a lot more um, ability to come back from that. I mean, you have Kevin Durant who had the same injury and he's looking great right now. So I think with Dwight Powell, they have to exercise some patience. I think he's still working himself into what he used to be. I don't know if he'll be back to what he was he was a rim running big that was really athletic and can hit an occasional three but right now he's struggling to defend he's not the rim runner he used to be and he just looks a step behind but I think that can be attributed to the injury and being off as long as he has been so I want to give him a little longer look I don't want to write him off so early in the season because everyone is still trying to get their legs under them everyone's still trying to get acclimated to these daily games or every other day, you know, the games are coming fast and you have to also keep that into account for a guy who's coming off such a major injury. So I want to come back to him in maybe um, 10 or 20 games and just see where he is because I want to have some patience with his injury and what he can provide right now. He's just not looking great. Maxi Kleba is coming off the bench playing a lot better and, and obviously looking like a healthy body, but Dwight Powell, I, I think that he can contribute. He just needs some time. What are the roles at this point, in your opinion, of two guys that I deem as low-risk, high-reward signings in James Johnson and Willie Cauley-Stein? What are the roles of these two guys on this team? Johnson, it seems like his best days are behind him. And Cauley-Stein, it seems like, is a guy that just hasn't been able to really fit in anywhere that he's been. So I think, first and foremost, for both of those guys, their primary role is defense. Those guys have been brought have been brought in to help when the games get ugly, to help bring some some tenacity to the defensive end, some versatility to the defensive end, because that's the name of the game today is defensive versatility. With so many teams playing, you know, stretch fours and guys who aren't, aren't necessary. I mean, even the Spurs are playing 
the Spurs are playing a guy, you know, they're playing DeMar DeRozan at the four. You can't have your traditional power forward playing in that role, trying to defend him. So you bring it, you insert a guy like James Johnson, Willie Collestein, who are both athletic guys, both can defend multiple positions. That's what they were trying to bring those guys in. And that's the value that they bring. But James Johnson, to me, while I agree, he could have lost a little bit, but he's not necessarily there for a regular season run. When the playoffs come and the game slows down, he will be a guy that will probably be counted on a little more than he will he would be in the regular season because of his defensive versatility, because of his um, you know occasional playmaking on offense. He gives you a dynamic that the the Mavericks haven't necessarily had. Not to mention for quote unquote playoff muscle, he he's another guy who's kind of an enforcer type. Willie Colley Stein kind of fits that mold too as well. Um, two guys that come off the bench. They can play it. They can play in dirty situations when the game is, you know, low scoring, when it's really hard to get a basket. Those guys value will shine most when you, when they're in those type of situations. Although Willie Colley Stein will probably play a little more regular season um, than maybe I anticipated. But James Johnson, for sure, his minutes will be managed a lot. But I wouldn't ex- I, I wouldn't be shocked to see him play a lot more once the playoffs roll around. As I told you before we started recording, Lawrence, I work for the Pac-12. The Mavericks took three Pac-12 guys in the 2020 draft. Josh Green from Arizona, Tyrell Terry from Stanford, and although he's on a two-way contract right now, they also took Tyler Bay from Colorado. Putting Bay to the side, because I don't think he's really going to play that much this year, given that he's with the Texas Legends right now, is there any expectation for what you can see from Green or Terry this year? Is it basically a matter of the fact that they're going to start to see more playing time in the future once you have veterans like Trey Burke and James Johnson and Willie Cauley-Stein and guys that aren't going to be here long-term off the books and probably somewhere else come next season? Um, for sure. That's definitely the case. Those guys are in the long-term plans. Those are, you know, future Mavs that they hope to develop because the Mavs have done a great job with development and getting guys ready to play. Um, they always they always have um, top-tier complementary pieces. That's something that the Mavs have hung their hat on for a while. It's just always having pieces to the puzzle that come in and they fit what they want to do. And so for Tyrell Terry, he just he's just a victim of the depth chart. He just won't play because there's just too many guys in front of him. Josh... Green might get an opportunity here, here and there throughout the year. I was actually talking with uh, some guys from Mavs Moneyball, one of my guys, Josh, shout out to Josh. We were talking about this on, on our podcast yesterday, which is we would like to see Josh Green get some minutes just to, because of the defensive t- uh, tenacity hasn't been there. They need a spark. He's a guy who's young. He's eager. Obviously, you know, he's still learning the nuances of NBA basketball. So he might pick up some ticky tack fouls, but this is the time to let him get some hands-on training with the fact that there was no, you know, offseason for the rookies to play summer league, even though summer league isn't necessarily um, the equivalent of an, of an actual NBA game, but just getting used to the technicalities of NBA basketball would have been really good for him. And the fact that he was a mid first round pick, you know that they they heavily invested in what they see him being in the future. But he's a six six guy. He has good size. He can hit corner three, so he's not going to have a lot of offensive responsibility. And with defense still being a, a small issue for these guys and rebounding, so if he can, just his energy level and his tenacity, if they can get him on the floor and find him minutes here and there, I think it would be it would prove to be um, you know a, a big plus for them in a way that maybe they didn't foresee. 
or at least give him the opportunity because what they have, what they've been using right now with guys just not looking, I guess, I don't want to say they don't look ready. They just, they're, for whatever reason, they just look flat at times. And so if you can, if you can insert some, you know, a, a jolt of energy into the lineup, I think Josh Green can be that guy. I would have loved to see Tyler get some minutes um, sporadically throughout the year as well. I think him being the Pac-12 defensive player of the year speaks volumes. That can translate. He's has a he has a wingspan. He's a willing defender, so he can be much like a Matisse Thybul was for the um for the 76ers. Let him just put him on some of these guys and just let him hound guys throughout a game and let him ch- kind of figure it out because those guys can be valuable come later in the season when you really need to start turning it up. And if you can get anything out of the rookies, that's just icing on the cake. And personally, I'm a big Tyler Bay fan. I thought that Tyler Bay was one of the more fundamentally sound players in the Pac-12 last year. He played on a team that had a lot of juniors and seniors on it, a Colorado team that still this year has a lot of juniors and seniors on it. So I, I was very surprised when Tyler Bay went as late as he did, given that I thought that he was a lot better, at least in the post, than a lot of other players in the conference, with the exception of Onyeko Okongwu, I thought that guy was the best player in the conference, at least from a draft prospect wise going forward. So I'm looking at the Mavericks year by year, Lawrence. And last year was the first time they'd made the playoffs since the 2015, 16 season. Given that fact expectations this year are probably as high as they've been in quite some time. Do you think that this year's team can match up to what last year's team was. And do you think that expectations might be a little bit too high for this year's team? I think, you know, it depends on how people look at it. You know, looking at Mavs Twitter, every the 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 Twitter sphere is up in flames about how they started the season. I, I like to exercise a little more patience. I think that, yes, it would have been great to start out undefeated or, you know, with a winning record. Everyone wants that. But the thing is, you want to see progression throughout the year, especially as you get to the 10 game mark, 15 game mark, 20 game mark. So I don't want to put too much into the first five games, especially because, like I said, with Porzingis not being there, it's hard to completely evaluate what this team will be. Dwight Powell will play less minutes when Porzingis gets back. Um, you'll have guys playing more natural positions. You have another offensive um juggernaut out there on the floor with Luca so I think that it's hard to give a complete evaluation but what I will say is I think that for me I had them between the four and six range six is on the low end four is on the high end um I think that they can get to that spot but if you would have told me that Porzingis wasn't you know I mean obviously we knew before the season started but if you were to tell me that that Luca was going to come in out of shape if you would have told me that they're going to struggle making shots, my opinion would have changed a little bit. But I think that those things can be turned around. I think, you know, by the law of averages, this team shoots a lot better than they're um, exhibiting right now. So I think that will, you know, that will continue to turn its, its way around, especially once you insert Porzingis back in the lineup. Luca will play himself back into shape. That's not ideal. But as a young player, it won't take him as long to get in shape as if he was a 33-year-old guy. So he should be fine at some point just by default, playing a lot of minutes, being back out on the floor um, and having games on a consistent basis. So 
I think that this team can continue to move forward in the way that they are, but I think they're adjusting because the elite shooting that they had last year, some of that is not there. You, you exchange that with some defensive firepower. And so that's what's going to have to come, come up more consistently is being able to get stops while, you know, in today's league where the rules are so, you know, I don't want to say limited, but at the same time, it doesn't allow you to implement a rugged style of basketball. So teams are going to continue to score no matter what, but you have to be able to get stops in key situations in situational basketball, which is where the math struggled last year. And that's what I want to see them get better at this year. They've also haven't rebounded as well. So getting a a seven, three guy back, who's your leading rebounder, that will help as well. They averaged about 46 rebounds per game last year. They're down to 40 this year, but again, Porzingis is the equalizer to a to a few of these issues that they've had. And so I really want to see what they look like when he gets back. And then I'll be able to say, hey, you know, I think this team can make a run at being one of the top four seeds in the West, or they're going to continue to have some issues because last year, all of their complimentary guys, all of the role guys had career years across the board. Seth, t- um, Tim Hardaway Jr., Dorian Finney-Smith, Maxi Kleba, they all shot the ball at career clips. So you can't go anywhere but down from there. But hopefully by them going down doesn't mean that now they've lost their superpower and now they're losing games because no one can shoot the ball like they did last year. So I'm waiting to see when the balance happens, how they look when they don't have to necessarily um, make shots all game just to win. And it's interesting to me when I look at that division because I definitely think that Houston is worse, and I think that that is a situation that has a chance to completely blow up just based on the way that James Harden has been behaving. And look, there's a lot of people that are either James Harden super fans or James Harden haters. I personally don't like the way that he's conducted himself with the start of this season, and I just feel like he is trying to blow that team up, even though it looks like John Wall is trying to keep it together. San Antonio is on the decline. They have been for the past couple of years. New Orleans is better. Memphis is going to keep getting better. So I think for the Mavericks, there's a real opportunity to be a top four team in the West, but it is going to take all of those guys that you just talked about being more consistent, not necessarily having career years, but being more consistent. Final question before I let you go, Lawrence, and then we'll give you an opportunity to plug a lot of your platforms when you look at what this Mavericks team is and how they have played thus far this season, what is the biggest encouraging sign that you have seen that shows that this team is better than their record at this point? And granted, small sample size. You know, we're in the, in the modern world of Twitter and hot takes. You know, like you said, Mavs Twitter is on fire because people are upset about a one and three start. Hey, Bulls Twitter was upset about an 0-3 start with a new coach and a new general manager and a bunch of new um, philosophies being implemented. And, hey, they're 2-3, and three and they just sent the Wizards to 0-5. So perspective. What, what's the yeah. encouraging sign that you see that this ship is going to turn around? Um, the encouraging sign I see is that everyone is going to be able to play, you know, a natural position. Last year, they had a really bad problem with Maxi Kleba and Dorian Finney-Smith being their only true defenders. That resulted in a lot of games where you get Maxi having to, for instance, in the playoffs, he was at there were there were times where he's chasing Paul George or chasing Kawhi Leonard. That is not ideal. Um, same thing for Dorian Finney-Smith having to guard um, post guys 
who are a little bigger than, and so he's playing out of position. So to say that those guys are playing up um, and kind of just out of their natural element, it was hurting the team and not and hurting them as well because offensively it was zapping their legs. When you have to have so much defensive burden, anyone who's played basketball or just understands basketball knows that that will take your legs away. And so as the result, you see Maxi Kleber shooting the ball really well to start the season because he's playing natural position defensively. Um, so for me, the most encouraging thing is you, you've brought in some guys that play defense. You've brought in some defensive versatility that will allow them to play in a comfort zone on defense without feeling the pressure of, I have to get a stop, or I'm not sure if I can guard this guy. So I'm racking up fouls. I like what they've, I like the, the additions they've made because now they can settle into a solidified um, unit, first unit and second unit with guys having defensive responsibility that are used to having defense defensive responsibility it hasn't necessarily shown up as much as I would like but again we're at a four game sample size they're still trying there's still a lot of moving pieces and um and they're still getting used to each other not to mention you know Porzingis is is I mean not Porzingis but Luca um I spoke on this as well I want to see him demonstrate a little better leadership in terms of body language and, and an assertiveness it doesn't have to equate to oh I'm gonna go out and score 30 or you know, I'm going to, you know, knock someone down to prove a point. It's just about understanding that you're a superstar. You're on this, the guy's attitude reflects leadership. And when things go bad, yes, he has a, he has a fiery competitive nature to when things aren't going bad, he doesn't want to come out the game. Well, that's fine, but continue to encourage, continue to be the forefront of what they're doing, no matter how much adversity hits. So that's a side tangent. Didn't mean to necessarily get into that. But for me, what I what I like to see is that they're, they have some natural positions defensively that they can actually hang their hat on moving forward. Bulls have been very poor defensively. Mavericks have been up and down. It should be a fun matchup. Lawrence Brooks with the Hoop Ball Dallas Mavericks podcast. Before we let you go and say goodbye here, tell everybody where they can listen to you, where they can follow you, and any other work that you'd like to plug. Yeah. So, um, so thanks again for having me. Thanks to Bulls Nation. Um, love you guys. I'm, I'm a distant Bulls fan. For some reason, I'm always rooting for them. But you can find me on Twitter at LB Said It. That's L-B-S-A-I-D-I-T. It's literally LB Said It. I'm also um, at Hootball Mav. So at H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L-M-A-V-S. I live tweet when the Mavs games are on. Um, I'm tweeting anything in between. Um, from both of those accounts, you can catch me either way. Download the podcast, subscribe, leave a five-star review, um, and continue to follow us on both accounts, LB Said It and ha- at Hootball Mavs. That's where I am most active um, and much appreciated. Lawrence Brooks, thank you again for your time. A happy new year to you and yours. And that is going to wrap it up here on the Hootball Chicago Bulls podcast. We will talk to you after the Bulls and Mavericks on the third from the United Center. This has been a Hoop Ball presentation. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off 
my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.